This week, I had the opportunity to interview Jay Doris. Jay was my very first boss at the tribe, and he's also the CEO for Wind Creek Hospitality. Jay grew up in a small town with a strong sense of community, just like the Porch Creek Indians. We sat down and reminisced about the Wind Creek Atmore Grand Opening and how the Wind Creek Hospitality brand actually started out just as a small bingo hall in Atmore, Alabama. Welcome back to A Place Called Porch. It's wonderful to have Jay Doris, who is the president and CEO of Wind Creek Hospitality, here with us today. Jay, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, it has been, it seems like forever since I've seen anybody, honestly, with the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, but I also feel like just with the expansion that Wing Creek has taken on, like, I feel like I just keep missing everybody, you know, and, uh, we just kind of keep passing each other and we're in the same circles, but we just keep missing each other. So it is really good to lay eyes on you today. I'm still around. Good to see you too. (laughs) So, Jay, um, I was as I was preparing for this interview, I was kind of thinking back to um, how we first met. And you were actually, so Brent was one of my, one of my first bosses, but you actually were my first boss um, whenever I started working for the tribe. And I remember I came in to interview for the um, receptionist position at PCI Gaming the corporate receptionist, and it was when we were in that old We Care building yeah. where the Gaming Commission is now, and Catherine actually interviewed me. But um, it was so funny because, like, you know, you were so busy with Wind Creek. You know, I would see you come in, and then you'd be on meetings all day long and in and out. And so Catherine and I were able to form, like, more of a working relationship and I was like, Catherine, there's a lot of times that I'm just up here like, what What more can I do? And she was like, I'm going to talk to Jay. You, you should be, I should be supervising you. <laughs> that sounds like Catherine. <laughs> but um, I've, I've always been so, and I've, I've shared this with y'all many times, so I've been so appreciative just for the opportunity because that's really kind of how I got my foot in the door um with the tribe was yeah. was coming to work there as the receptionist and and uh and now here we are you know yeah time has gone by it has and that were those were some exciting times when we we're in the we care building yeah i do remember working with you and you were and still remain very capable <laughs> well i don't know what happened after you left us but <laughs> And Brent might have messed you up too. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I think I think I got some attention to detail OCD from Brent. I think it just totally rubbed off on me. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> remember we were needing a basically a project manager, and you got picked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or we said go learn. I think it was Microsoft Project, and it was. Uh, in a matter of days, you had that put together. You had a project plan together. And we were off and running. I've I've always been so thankful for those opportunities and for you saying, I think you can do this. And Well, we didn't have a choice. It had to get <laughs> <We> done. <did. laughs> and you're like, okay, well, we think she can do it. Maybe we'll just try it and see. 
Yeah, it'll work out. <laughs> it'll work out. And it did. It did. And I got to harass a lot of people, and that was a lot of fun. I yeah, think we can't do that anymore, by the way. Oh, shucks. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> But I can remember like calling people on the phone and like, I need your project updates. You haven't sent them to me. Just just talk me through them. We got to get it before this meeting with Jay. <laughs> That's what you were supposed to do, and you did yeah. it quite well. Um, so, Jay, let's start with how did you find your way to Porch? So I met, uh, people know or some people don't, I went to work for the Mississippi Choctaws not too long out of school, uh, architecture school. I worked with them for 15 or 16 years. I don't remember exactly how long. But during that course of working with them, I got involved in a lot of uh, tribal issues on a national level. And there were some negotiated rulemaking committees that took two or three years each. And I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, be selected to represent the Choctaws on a couple of those committees. While working on those committees, I met a lot of people throughout Indian country from all over the country, from all over the U.S., and met met people from Porch Creek. Uh, met Mr. Tullis. He was chairman at the time. Uh, Tim Martin. Uh, Wicker. Uh, Susan. Susan, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the housing committee. And so I got to know some people. Um, when I moved on from the Choctaws, I went to work uh, for the St. Joe Company, and uh Got a call from Tim Martin one day, who had come back, and he said, "Hey, we're getting ready. To, we want. We're ready to build our casinos. Would you like to come interview? And I uh, think maybe you could help us with that. Sure, because I wasn't happy at St. Joe. I came up and uh, interviewed. It was a room filled, you know, a room full of people, and uh, Buford was chair at that time. And uh, the interview I thought went fine." And I was thinking about it, and it's interesting. I always get a chuckle out. You wind up being where you need to be at the right time. I was still thinking, well, you know, is this the right thing to do or not? And, uh, you know, saying my prayers. And I went back to St. Joe, and I got a call. Hey, you need to come see Tom on Friday. I've been around enough. I've been in positions. Okay. And St. Joe wasn't doing well. I said, all right, I'm about to get laid off. So that's the answer to my message. I should take the job. And so, yeah, I called back and said, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested, and took the job. We got started on planning Wind Creek Atmore, and that time, I don't know if you remember, we were going to do Wind Creek Wetumpka at the same time. We were off off and running. Now, we had to wait a little longer on Wind Creek Wetumpka, but... Uh, because the economy was not doing well at that time. It had yeah. kind of crashed. <laughs> well, kind of, yeah. It, it pretty much had. <laughs> <laughs> we had our plan... Thinking back, we were going to raise $500 million at that point in time to build both Atmore and Wetumpka. And we were working with the banks, and we were we were sitting in a conference room at a at our bank in New York City. The bankers all came out, and they were didn't look well, and said, the, the debt markets, they're, they're gone. We mm-hmm. cannot raise money. And that was problematic because uh, we had put – the money that had been saved up to that time was going into Wind Creek Atmore. We had the foundation in, and we needed money to finish. And so the bankers uh, got together, and we worked with them. And they were able; they came up with a uh, with a loan based on what we were doing at that time, and that was just the right amount of money to finish Wind Creek Atmore. 
Um, again, things kind of fit into place. Mm-hmm. And we got, it was that money we finished and uh, paid it off in, what, two years? Mm-hmm. And we had a good project manager to help us get it built, by the way. <laughs> yeah, chasing Brent around doing those punch lists uh, through Wind Creek Atmore. I don't think I've recovered from that yet, and I don't think my feet have either because while I can make fun of him wearing really, really expensive nice shoes, going trying to tiptoe through clay and, and mud puddles at a construction site, I stupidly wore high heels on concrete floors. So we were both a tit-for-tat kind of situation there. Well, they Two probably work better. Pod. Yeah, but I, I think they work better on concrete than mud. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Jay, what do you think, you know, growing up and given your experience and education, what do you think helped prepare you to be a CEO? So, you know, growing up, I grew up in a small town. It was smaller than Atmore, but... Because you grew up in Mississippi, I right? did. That's right. Uh, Winona. Um, so, you, you know, the, the sense of community becomes very strong. And it's, as everybody knows, growing up in a, or being part of a small community, it's a great blessing and it can be a curse at times. So, but just having a sense for what that's about, I think, helps understanding, you know, that people are wanting to advance themselves, want to do right for their families. Education-wise, uh, you know, I do, and with uh, reflection, I think the degree in architecture was actually probably better for me from a business uh, standpoint than even my MBA, uh, because when you're dealing with architecture, you're having to put together a lot of different elements to form a space where people are going to be able to function, and it's different people that have different roles and if you're able to create a space, an environment where they can do harmoniously work together, at the end of the day, I think that's what a CEO is supposed to do, is put people together into an environment where they can utilize their talents, uh, their strengths, and work with each other and achieve something bigger than would otherwise perhaps do on their own. So. And I can attest to the fact that you have been a true architect of people and teams. I've seen it for myself. Um, whenever you were first brought on, were you the first member of the executive team? Or were, were there other members of the executive team? Well, no, there team was a team here, and, and they had achieved great success. Uh, Kitty Stewart and, and the people she was working with, they had built uh, and, and were quite successful. And we uh, certainly worked with Kitty and her team and expanded from there. So, uh, you know, I, I guess of the team that went to market, so to speak, to the, the team that went to borrow money, I was the first one. But I don't ever want to forget, I hope people don't forget what had been accomplished with the folks that were before us. That's right, because they had built the bingo palace. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they kind of started that foundation for what came later on. That's right. Yeah. And and I, I appreciate you saying that, Jay, because you're right. I think that it's easy to look at Wing Creek Atmore and just think that that was kind of the starting point. But really, it starts back in those, you know, mid-late 1980s with the Bingo Palace. That's right. Um, do you think or, or, or what elements 
culturally from the Bingo Palace do you think have emerged and stayed um, stayed with the Wind Creek Hospitality brand? I think there was a very tight-knit group of people. And I think a few of them are still around, but, you know, it's been a while, mm-hmm. and a lot of them have retired. And I remember talking with Kitty. I mean, we, we're not trying to move on from people. Mm-hmm. We're going to work with who got us here and add to that and keep building. And so that, that spirit of we work with the people that are here and we all move forward. And uh, every day we try to do a little bit more than we did the day before. We'll be okay. So how did you go about recruiting, you know, Brent and Catherine, um, Joe Quinn and those guys? that that um, make up the team as it exists today. Yeah. So every one of them was a little bit different. Um, Brent, I'd worked with before. Uh, we actually recruited him at Pearl River Resort to be our first uh, a marketing VP. And was really impressed with him, really enjoyed working with him. And, you know, you go through life, and occasionally you come across people that you think, you know what, if – I get a chance to do this again. This somebody I think could really help, and I'd like to do it again with. So with Brent, it was reaching out to him. He was with uh, Las Vegas Sands and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. I think it's going to be incredible. Would you be interested? And uh, introduce him to other folks around, and uh, they they were impressed with him, and we were able to get him to come join us. Um, Catherine was a consultant. And she was consulting with us for a number of months. We basically just convinced her to change from uh, consulting to uh, coming on full-time. And I think you probably talked to her enough. I don't think she was thinking she was going to do that, but we persuaded her otherwise. Uh, Joe, I think we found through a recruiter. And uh, I remember interviewing him and his wife, Kathy. We were at, uh, I think it was Bluegill. It was one of the restaurants on the causeway. And I think, uh, again, he was coming from the Midwest, and there was a little bit of reluctance. Uh, do I want to come south? But once they got down here and saw what we had going, it much easier to sell. Well, there's just something about the beach and the environment and the Gulf wind in your face that – Makes it a, a little bit more compelling, too, I think. It helps. Yeah, we always try and get everybody to the beach. Yeah. So, Jay, how did we get from a Creek, a creek Bingo Palace to an international Wind Creek hospitality? A day at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's looking at what the opportunities are. And I know the growth has has been tremendous. I actually believe we're we're actually very conservative as a company. Um, I think that's a reflection uh, of of the tribe and the leadership of the tribe, and it's a good thing. It means that we prepare for what might could happen. And so if something bad happens over here, we can offset it with what happens over here. And that diversification has has helped us. Um, we maintain, you know, a strong balance sheet. If a once in a lifetime pandemic comes through, we're positioned to ride right through it. 
And I'm very proud of our ability to ride through this pandemic and keep porch and, and the people we work for in good shape. And, uh, so how did we get to where we are today? Uh, at the end of the day, we made more right decisions than bad decisions. So, How do you go about making those decisions? Is it, do you go by gut feeling? Is it all data-driven? Or is it a mixture between the two? What does that decision-making process looks like? Because look like? Because this is not just decisions about, you know, do I want ham or bacon for breakfast? These are, you know, multi, multi-million dollar, even billion dollar decisions sometimes. Yeah, it's it's a combination of both. I, I don't think I don't think you can do it strictly on the data because the data is going to always be what's happened in the past. And you've and probably heard that little caveat. Whatever's happened in the past doesn't necessarily assure, uh, predict what the future will be. Mm-hmm. But the data is very important. Um, and, and gut instinct is you, you need to be able to test that against, all right, if this is what I think, the data says this, is there an alignment between the two? The uh, I do think there's some fundamentals for our properties. Uh, we do quite well with the regional market. If you look at the number of people that are within, that can get to our property with a quicker drive compared to a competitor, and how many people are in that market, if we've got, you know, take Montgomery for an example, within an hour drive of Montgomery and Wetumpka, uh, about 350,000 people, and we do quite well out of that market. Here in Atmore, we've got Pensacola and uh, Mobile, but now we got we face more immediate competition from Biloxi. Mm. But both of those markets combined, you know, we got close to a million people in the region. So when we look at Bethlehem, we did some analysis and drew some dividing lines between the competition and our property there. There's a million, 1.5, 1.7 million people that can drive to Bethlehem, our property quicker and eat more easily than a competitor. And when we're dealing with those kind of numbers, I feel really good that we will be able to sustain an acceptable revenue uh, level of revenue um, for a long time. So just looking at what casinos do across the country, how many people are around, can they come to our place easier? Do we have a better offering? Um, we've been really committed. We have lowest hold, biggest payout to customers of any in, in any place we operate. Over time, that builds customer loyalty. Now, they always say we don't pay out enough. <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> but they know, and and we know, and we can look at we can look at the data from the gaming commissions, and we know we're given a better uh, payout, which means they get more time and seat. So this is a long winded answer. Uh, how do we make decisions? Um, very confident in what we offer. We we give more time. Um, very confident that we have a, enough people in a market to support for a long time what we're trying to do. And the other element is we've we've got to a point where we've been able to diversify. And so if something if we're down a little bit in Alabama, we're doing quite well in Bethlehem right now. So they they, they offset. 
Caribbean's up, another region might be down, and vice versa. So, so speaking of diversification, how did you and your team prepare yourself for that diversification outside of Alabama? Because um, a lot of people may be aware, but some may not. Within the boundaries of Alabama, we're limited to Class Two gaming, which is a bingo based um, a bingo based gaming. Right. And then once you get outside of those boundaries, those um, gaming restrictions change. Right. Class Three. Right. Class Three. And can you, just for our audience' sake, can you explain sort of the difference between Class Two and Class Three? Sure. Uh, so Class Two gaming is based on it. It is the game of bingo. So the, the machines we have, you're playing bingo on that machine, and you're playing against other people. Class 3 is a chip. It's a random number generator. And so a slot machine that is Class 3 has a random number generator. And if you're lucky and a winning number comes up in that random selection, you win. If it doesn't come up, you don't win. If you're playing the game of bingo and the balls fall and you fill out your line, you win. So uh, one of them is bingo-based. You're playing with other people. Uh, class three is a, a chip, and uh, you're playing against the house. So, And we have <clears throat> class three in Bethlehem. In the Caribbean. And in the Caribbean. Correct. Okay. So how what was that preparation like? Was, or was there a lot of preparation? Because I know that a lot of um, our ex- executive team members, too, they come from a gaming background, so were they already familiar with Class 3, and was that yeah. an easy scale? Yeah, that wasn't an issue. The biggest, So actually the biggest uh, difference is within Class 3, you can offer table games. Mm. So I think one of the reluctances that faced Porch in a Class 2 environment back when, trying, when we're trying to get it started, casinos evolved starting with the table games. And then slots got added as another offering. And the people within the casino industry, at least it was much more prevalent 20 years ago, a casino is not a casino if it didn't have table games. Mm -hmm. And I think people would look at a bingo operation and say, oh, that's not a real casino. And I think that maybe provided some impediment to getting financing to be able to build one creek out more or whatnot. Um, I actually, when I left Choctaw, spent a year trying to raise money. I wanted to go build a slots-only casino. And uh, I was terrible at raising money at that time, so I didn't (laughs) succeed. But when I got to work for you guys, it was a slots-only class, two. It was a bingo operation, and I had no doubt it could be incredibly successful based on my time working for the Choctaws. Table games bring their own challenges. You can make some money with table games. But the money made by casinos is typically going to be from the slots, you know, the, 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 the big money. Mm-hmm. But the people running the casino all too often think it's the tables that are making it a casino. So there's that bias. Um, we didn't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. We couldn't offer table games, so we didn't have to focus on them. The people we recruited, to your point, I, I had class three experience. Brent did, Joe did, Catherine did. But we knew we could do well with offering the bingo, the electronic gaming machines. And uh, 
we did quite well with it. I think we proved that without a doubt a casino can be a very effective casino without table games. One of the most common questions I get even today when people know that I'm associated with Porch or with Wind Creek is, oh, y'all don't, y'all don't have table games though, right? And no, we've got, we have slot machines. That's, you know, that's the easiest right. way to, to describe it. Oh, okay. And I was like, but we have lots of great food. We've got a cooking studio and a spa too. You know, do you foresee there'll ever be a day when we'll have table games at, at Wind Creek at Moore? We can come up and come yeah, every year the Alabama legislature, there's talk we're going to get something done on gaming. There will be a vote. We'll change the, you know, the, the people will be able to vote on the amending the Constitution. I, you can never say never, but which year will be the year? Who knows? So. <laughs> That's a gamble in itself, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of gambling, um, for all of my avid um, gamblers out there, Jay, I know there's got to be some sort of trick to those slot machines. I mean, you got to rub it the right way. You got to, <laughs> you know, what what works out there on that gaming floor? I want to win a jackpot. Well, <laughs> I guess what I can tell you is every game out there is going to pay out. We just don't know when. <laughs> and I would strongly advise you not to chase it beyond what makes sense for you. Let's always keep this as entertainment. Uh, I think everybody knows, I hope everybody knows that we do not want to encourage any form of problem gaming. We don't support it. Uh, we have a self-ban program. We've actually banned people who, when they talk to us, it's clear they have a problem. So I, I want you to win a jackpot too, but do it safely. <laughs> I promise I will not. Probably the first step, though, is I actually have to come to casino and put money in the machine. That's probably a good place to start. That's kind of like the lottery tickets. You're not going to win if you don't buy one. And even when you buy one, you're still not going to win. But that's true. Um. Katie's laughing a little bit. Have you bought a lottery ticket lately? or? I am addicted to scratch-offs. Okay. My sister is, too. Uh, <laughs> my sister is too um whenever you first came on board here at porch did you ever imagine that we would come to a place where we are now like what what was your vision when you first came here well it's again a day at a time let's get that more done uh we were going to do with tomka but so we had adversity and another thing i would say is because you have adversity today, it doesn't have to define what tomorrow will be. Um, we got Atmore open, paid it off in two years, and lo and behold, the banks were knocking on the door to loan money at that point. Um, you know, we made incremental steps with uh, with uh, Watomka and Montgomery, and then we went and got them. Uh, well, actually, uh, we funded Watomka out of cash flow, if I remember correctly. You know, the vision was, I think, Porch and the gaming operation can be incredibly successful. Uh, you'll recall that within our value set, you know, the outcome, if we do our jobs right, is creation of wealth and opportunity for Porch. And so we've always tried to stay focused on that. And if we can create every year, we try to create more than we did the year before. And so far, we've been able to do that. So 
I'm getting emotional thinking about opening night because I can remember being up on the top floor. Yeah. And I was there with Keisha, you know, the chairwoman Brian's daughter. And I remember how scary that night was because we were like, we've gone through all of this preparation and we've worked so hard for this night. What if people don't show up? Oh, they showed up. And I just remember going up and being, you know, up at that high highest level of the hotel and looking down the interstate and then looking down Highway 21. And as far as the eye could see, you just saw all these headlights. Cars coming. I mean, and it was, it was really one of those unbelievable pinch me moments. Because it was like, holy crap, like this is actually happening. And um, I remember it was it was like that for a long time. I mean, yeah. just people were just coming, you know. They they just wanted to come check it out. They wanted to see what it was about. And, um, you know, and I remember how everybody, regardless of what their – title was in the company we were out there serving cocktails and bussing tables and i mean i can remember Catherine out there yeah. you know um who's our vp of hr you know she's out there bussing tables and we were getting cocktail you know drinks and um not always serving them because you have to go through a special right, right. class <laughs> we were very clear about what we could and couldn't do but picking up empty glasses and you know there was just so much to do and i remember we would take it in shifts the buffet, the buffet. The yep tables the the tables. Buffet, yeah. mm-hmm. yep and um i i haven't thought about that in a long time but it's a good reminder that the team that exist and it's you know it doesn't matter what level um everybody pulled up their sleeves and they rallied around this project right and that's not something that everybody gets a chance to see at every company as a matter of fact you rarely see that and that is something that has stuck with me all these years because i felt like it was just so impactful that the, van, the the viewpoint, the perspective was, we truly all in this together. Right. We're truly all in this together. And just because you're a cocktail server, I don't expect you to deal with all of this. Like, I see that you need help, and I'm going to help Step you. Step in. Yep. Yep. But you, you referenced purpose and values earlier. And I think that that is something that gets talked about a lot behind the scenes and I know that that's something that Wind Creek Hospitality has done a good job of driving and and really permeating throughout the company but it's not something that's really been on the forefront um, obviously but can we talk a little bit about those purpose and values and um, I don't expect you to Give us a whole list of them. I won't sure. put you on the spot. But do you have one particular value that you look to more frequently than others? And and how have those values helped define the culture at Wind Creek Hospitality? Well, you know, there's several values. And depending on what the situation is, will dictate which value set you know, we should be operating in. 
the, the outcome that I mentioned, which is the uh, is one of our values. It's the last uh, outcome, which is creation of wealth and opportunity for for Porch Creek. In a strategic sense, uh, that's something I think I and all of us focus on. Um, on a day to day basis, we you know we talk about do it right, be the best, and have fun. Um, which in itself will reference back in our purpose. There are two or three key uh, caveats or, or, or points that I that I typically refer to. We talk about genuine engagement. Um, for me, genuine engagement means that each of our employees, each one of us, we have to be ourselves in order to be genuine when we engage with a customer. We talk about in that purpose that we want every customer who comes in to feel like they were the most important person on property that day they need to feel a sense of importance and belonging uh, again that goes back we have to be genuine and if we're doing it right or being the best then that customer each individual one will leave property thinking they were the most important person to us that day or during that visit and so uh, i think on the face of it it's simple but when you do it, you might have 10,000 people come through the doors at one property. When you do it every single day for every single customer, every single minute, no matter how bad you got things going at home or whatever's going on, but you deliver that sense of importance or feeling of belonging, then we've been successful. And uh, our purpose statement and our values, they all work together. Um, if it breaks down, if we're not personally accountable, then there's a section of the, you know, the, the, the set of our values dealing with personal accountability. We, we look into that to how do we correct it? How do we make amends? So they all fit together. Because the properties that we have invested in since when the original Wind Creek, Alabama property. So those were all greenfield projects, essentially. I mean, there were existing sites there, right? Um, however, it was they were they were kind of like bingo palaces, you know, and so um, or or bingo halls. <clears throat> and whenever those Wind Creek resorts were built, it took it to a whole different level. But from the from the from that perspective, I would say they they were kind of greenfield projects because it was on such a different level, um, you know, that it was all kind of brand new, right? But the difference is with the um, other properties that we have di- diversified with, most of those haven't been greenfield. Our um, our big our biggest investments have been properties that were pre existing. And right. had been for years. Right. So you already have an existing culture there. And then, you know, here comes this little South Alabama company to, um, you know, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which is, if, for folks that may not be aware, it's, you know, an hour and a half from New York City. Right. And then you've got Aruba and Curacao in the Caribbean. And so how do you how do you put your personal touch on places that have already been pre-existing, um, I, and I don't know for how long, but you know, have a very defined culture there already. Yeah, um, the Caribbean. So the the Ruben Curacao. I mean, they they're relatively small population-wise. It feels more uh, 
and I'm not calling them small towns, but that feeling of community in that sense is there. So I think we had a connection there. Um, when we went in there, we wanted to be respectful of the culture and you know, it's different language, different customs. But at the end of the day, when we're talking about, we just want to be personally accountable. We want to, we want to be the best. We want to have fun. That's pretty universal. So that that makes a connection. And in Bethlehem, you're right. It's an hour and a half from New York City. Uh, it's in the Northeast. Um, upper management there. I, well, all of them. I think there was suspicion. But we kept doing what we do, and it wasn't words. I mean, we were, it was it was actions, and, and they've totally bought in. Um, I think it's incumbent on us if we continue to, you know, if we have somebody in a, a leadership position and they're not going to live our purpose and values, then then we need to make a change. But uh, the the leadership at that property are so incredibly thankful that they work for Porch Creek now. And they express that routinely. And they will tell you it's unlike any other company they work for. It's we've just we keep doing what we do and it's it's actions, not words. I'm sorry to use so many cliches, but it's uh I know working with Kathy and Patrick and Mike and Julia and that team in Bethlehem, I I, I do believe they're very genuine in their appreciation to get to work and serve their guests in the in the in light of the company that we are so what's next for wind creek hospitality jay I, who knows <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i know that and, and so i know that that can create frustration sometimes within the general council and it, it certainly please i hope everybody understands that's not the intention our goal is to create wealth and value for the tribe to do better each year than we did the year before. Some of the things we look at, many of them are covered under confidentiality clauses. Um, and so sometimes we can't talk about things. But it's not because we're trying, trying to withhold. It's because if we think there's an opportunity to add something that's going to increase the value for the tribe, we think that's what we're supposed to be doing. So... We're excited, too. We want to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to keep the cat in the bag when you're you're like, this is really the next thing, and and we're really excited about it. You want to kind of shout it from the rooftops. But but to your point, though, Jay, you know, you have to be prudent as well. And part of that, you know, being prudent is to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. That's right. <laughs> to use a gaming term. Yeah, to use a gaming metaphor. We're, uh, sometimes we have to. Um, what does personal success look like for Jay Doris? Uh, being able to do something that I really enjoy and being able to know that other people have benefited. I mean, it's, Nice to drive down the road and see a new office building or a new fire station. Mm-hmm. Or talk to somebody not too long ago who told me about their children and the, the college fund. So that's incredibly rewarding. Because I, I think that um, it's, it's key, and I think it's very grounding to remember 
that Indian gaming is very different than traditional business-oriented corporate corporate gaming in that it doesn't provide for one or two shareholders or, you know, whatever that board may look like. Anonymous shareholders. But it provides for a whole tribe of people. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, and for us, that's, you know, well over 2,000 people. Right. And, um, and I think that it's also re- remarkable and worth noting that what the gaming industry has done here for, for not just the Atmore community, but everywhere where we've, we've had businesses is, you know, it's provided jobs for people. Right. It's provided uh, a quality of life. It's provided education opportunities not for not just for tribal members and their families, but also for lots of other non-tribal folks through scholarship programs and the like. Um, and um, and then not to mention just how expansive the footprint is when you consider vendor relationships and that right. sort of thing too. Um, and so that extends far beyond just uh, just the community of, of Atmore and. Um, and where we actually have physical locations. It absolutely does. Um, Jay, I know that every day hasn't been butterflies and roses. What what have been some of the more challenging aspects of your job? Oh, COVID was tough. Um, that was a very difficult period. But my concern was more about health because, you know, I mentioned earlier in in our conversation, I knew how strong we were, and I'm quite confident we were going to survive and continue to provide wealth for the tribe. Um, but it was scary times, and I get that. Uh, you know, navigating through that and trying to figure out the right balance of protective measures to take versus opening up for business, and, and you know, that was certainly a challenge. Um, you know, everything else I hadn't worried too much about. I, I, you have to accept sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision, but you figure out how to turn it to your advantage and uh, move on. What happens today, as I said, it doesn't have to dictate what tomorrow will be. Now, that said, what we do today, we're planning for what we want tomorrow to be. But if we have uh, adversity, you just figure out how to keep getting to where you want to go anyway. What have been some of, how long have you been with the trial? Let me start there. I think it was 2006. Okay, so 16, you've been here for 16 years. And I know that you have had a lot. We're in 22, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, part of my challenge is keeping up what year we're in. Oh, gosh. So we're in 22. Yeah, because uh, we're working on 23 budgets right now. Well, that gets, yeah, that gets confusing. Too. Yeah. But uh, 14, 16 years. So you've been here 16 years now, Jay. And I know during that, during your tenure here, I know you've, you've had certainly some highlights and multiple highlights in your career. But what would you say has, have been some of your really just proudest moments? Just still being able to be part of this porch community and y'all let me keep doing what I like to do most days. (laughs) <laughs> so 
I mean, we've done so much. And as you mentioned earlier, it extends beyond. There's so many others. I think, you know, if you do think back, in my case, to 2006, for you guys, it goes way, way further back. And uh, if you think about where it was and where we are, there's so much to be thankful for. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, my career has been working for, for tribes. I didn't set out to do that, but that's that's the way it worked out for me, and I'm glad it has, because at least I know the people, and most of the time that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> what is, uh, and this will be my last question. In work, so working with and within Native communities is unique. What's probably what's what would you say has been the most important lesson you've learned working with Native American communities? Overall, people are good regardless of what tribe they come from, and I mean that even beyond tribal tribes. Um, and in the case of American Indian tribes, the the hardships and the wrongs that were done are tremendous. But then when given an opportunity to be generous or to not, people have chosen to be generous. And that speaks well to the future of all of us as humans, not to try and get to whatever. But that's been very uh, reaffirming that even when you've been done bad, you can choose to let it in there and try to do something better going forward. You know, Jay, I really thought you were going to say that you had learned not to talk about anybody's cousin. <laughs> Everybody's related to everybody. So te- technically that's true, but if you abide by it, you won't talk about anybody. Well, Jay, thank you so much for your time today. Thank I you. have I've thoroughly enjoyed seeing you in person, face to face, instead of over a Zoom or a meeting or in passing. And um, and it's always just a, a pleasure, and and uh, it always feels good to be around you. Oh, well, thank you, thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you for listening to a place called Porch. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website, porchcreekindians.org, for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.